0: I look as awful as I feel right now, huh? <laughs> you must feel pretty bad. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Way to kick me on down. <laughs> no problem. It's not like I... Walked right into that. my sorrows in a bag of Reese's last night or anything. What kind of Reese's? White chocolate, mini unwrapped. I don't even... It's just disgusting even singing out loud. It's really <laughs> pathetic. It's really bad.
1: I feel like the more adjectives you're adding, <laughs> just the worse it gets. Like every adjective adds like... 20 30, grams of fat yeah exactly. yeah <laughs> 30 calories for each bite
0: oh man i don't know why yeah am i the only one who does that Dr- comfort myself with chocolate <laughs> dude there's a reason why when you go into cvs there's just like aisles yeah of, of candy i have there's some moments where i have bad triggers and i'm like i just need something to get through the evening it's really unhealthy it's very unhealthy but man it did taste good Mm. I wanted to just be in a whole bathtub full of those things, <laughs> just sitting there, gl- like three glasses of wine, you know, Reese's within arm's reach, throwing a rom-com from Netflix. Sounds like a good evening to me.
1: Are you like a, I don't know, 31-year-old woman?
0: <laughs> you know, it's a tricky time of life. It's tricky. Um, You saw me this morning, you were like, dude, what happened? <laughs> What happened was I am traveling to Seattle and I had to pack and I have this other bad habit. Let's just talk about bad habits that I have. When I know I have to pack, the the actual packing can take 22 minutes and it will literally take me. Six and a half hours because I do everything other than pack until it's like three o'clock in the morning. Uh, That's why you leave
1: the packing till the morning
0: of because you literally have a forcing function. Yeah. If it only takes a minute, wait, I'm so tired. (laughs) I botched that. If you leave it to the last minute, it only takes a minute.
1: (laughs) Also, the other thing I realized is like you really only need your wallet and your cell phone and your computer because everything else you can can just buy. buy. Yeah. That seems a- bad, me, like bad ask advice. Me, ask me why I have so many <laughs> Apple Watch chargers.
0: Yeah. Oh, speaking of that, I actually had a to do to like get your Apple Watch charger. did not I already take your Apple Watch <laughs> charger? Yeah, that oh, was okay. that was one of my travel, the ones that I bought while traveling. Uh, ah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm going to Seattle. I've never been to Seattle before. Should I go say hi to Bill Gates? Does he live there? Yeah. Hanging out at Microsoft. Is it gonna rain? Amazon. Does Jeff Bezos live there too? They all live there. Wow, it's a lot of concentrated wealth. Yeah. In a small radius of square miles. Is it going to rain? It, the weather looks really nice there, actually. Man, weather nice. in New York has been incredible. Yeah. It's like crazy nice here. Um, Seattle should be fun. Apparently, they have a lot of good seafood. I have no idea what else is there to do in Seattle. I coffee. Co- I think there's a lot of coffee. Yeah. I think that's where like Starbucks started. Yes. That's what we're going to do as well. So I was up because what was I working on? The Mirage release and the podcast and some other video stuff. Um, we have been trying to prioritize getting Mirage 1.0 out the door. I basically have been trying to prioritize that because we have we want to keep working on new Mirage stuff. And that's like the first step. So I cut a release for 1.0 beta 1. Uh, nice. That was yesterday, right? Yeah. So that's pretty cool. I mean, it's been like four years or five. I was like looking at some old commits. It might even be longer, four or five years. What, um, What is in 1.0 beta one? Like anything, like what do I need to know? If you're on 4.15, which is like the last 4X release, um, the only changes are the things that were breaking changes, That things I decided to make breaking changes for 1.0 because I wanted 1.0 to mostly be about solidifying existing APIs. But... Um, we like remove Faker from Mirage because we package it and now it's not packaged anymore. So there's a code mod that like changes your import statements. Pretty cool.
1: I saw I saw someone today
0: <laughs> say they ran the code
1: mod and uh,
0: it just worked. Pretty cool. Code yeah, mods re- are super cool. Really, really cool. And then there's a few other just like small breaking changes that won't affect a lot of people at all. So that'll be really cool. And then, you know, we were talking yesterday about kind of what we want to do first. Like, I, part of one point I'll release what I'm going to do on the plane ride is try to work on the docks a little bit because I want to redo the docks because they're just organically grown since the beginning of Mirage and a lot of them don't make sense right now. But um, there's, I think that will also help sh- reveal where the gaps are, like you know, there'll be an acceptance testing guide, but now we have like rendering tests and integration tests are a thing. Like, there should be a good guide for that, but the answer right now is going to be kind of like a hacky thing. So maybe that'll be like a feature we work on soon, like we were talking about yesterday. Cool. Um, so we want to add like this, basically make it so you can like new up a server and you know pass in some config and just like simulate a response and request without having to do like a full Ajax request. That'll be really useful. We were using that when we were messing around with Mirage and Node. It was pretty sweet. Um, getting Mirage and Node will also let like let us see real network re- requests, which would be really cool. Um, I want to make like a part of the docs that's going to show all the relationships um, and like what the domain model looks like, and then what the request to Mirage looks like and what the response looks like, and maybe even let you like choose your serializer. Because a lot of times people ask questions about it, and it's just so much easier if you see, given a user that has many blog posts, and given a blog post, I see. Um, when you make a GET request to this and include this, here's what the response looks like, and it's a graph, and you can see it, and you're you're understanding what the shorthand gives you, and then if you decompose that into the route handler, you're understanding what's happening there. Because like there is a lot of moving. There's like architecturally there's like four distinct layers in Mirage, and um, I think um, it's good to, it would be good to clear that up. But like having a, a whole section of the guys that's just domain modeling one way belongs to, one way has many, one to many, many to many, one to one, one to one reflexive, many to many reflexive, polymorphic has many, polymorphic belongs to. And then showing like, given that domain model, here's how you would create it. Basically, it wasn't a test suite's here's how you would like create a data and set a model and with a relationship. And then when you, you know, mutate it, how you do it. I mean, don't want to get carried away, but basically like I was thinking that. And then maybe even like a playground section where you could like add some code and like it would serialize it to the URL and you could share like, Oh, some, cause people ask me that they're like, how do I create a new, like many to many record here? And so I would just be able to write it up and like share a link.
1: I mean, that'd be really cool. Like I know that basically all those relationship types you've just mentioned, um, Basically, can cover almost any domain model. And so it'd be neat if you could start someone off with, like, you know, the simple user, blog post, comments, author, whatever. But then they can edit
0: that for their domain. Exactly. And then, like, see what the response is. Like, that's super powerful. Exactly. Once we landed polymorphic relationships in Mirage's RM, we, we covered, we got parity with Ember Data. And Ember Data is super flexible. I think it's even more flexible than Rails because of the one way thing. Yep. Um, um, I guess you could inverse and null and, uh, null and inverse in Rails. So you could probably do the same thing. But basically, those are both roughly the equivalent, and Mirage covers both those cases. So that's pretty cool.
1: I would I would say it's more flexible because of like Rails has very specifics of where like the foreign keys. Right, so.
0: right, right. So uh, it would be nice to have all that documented in a really easily. People already understand that. Like people like you, even though you didn't write Mirage, you know the influence that i had for it through Rails, so you understand you're just going to bring that mental model already it also helps to
1: you know sit next to the guy that wrote it so yeah
0: so but but there's a lot of people who you know a maybe don't do their domain modeling the way we do or the way Rails suggests b just um haven't ever done that and like maybe their first experience with this kind of thing is using mirage like with an ember front end and so i want to be able to explain that stuff um and then kind of going beyond that it's like Thinking, how can we have those four layers of architecture with the kind of resourceful, like relationship aware resources being the highest, most abstract level that we want to work with mainly? But like, if we bring Mirage to a bigger audience, how to not scare people away with that, or how to make sure that that fits in with like, you know, other kinds of domain modeling and, and you know, nested document based stuff and, and all that. Your,
1: is your idea here like everything is going to decompose
0: yeah but i think like i need to understand how people do this because i've never i don't have a lot of experience writing like an app without like a relational backed database like um, because that's just how i think of domain modeling with like foreign keys and separate tables as opposed to like documents and so i still believe though that even if there was an app that was backed by mongo document storage you would still have this notion of resources and relationships and ideally we could have a way for you to do that in the same way we do with mirage um and then um how that gets serialized is a responsibility of the serializer layer not like the resource model layer Um, and the orm calls are the same and like mirage's database would be the same but we just have to see because it might be a little confusing i just have to understand that stuff yeah there's always going to be escape hatches but it's still like you know, we have this vision for like just de- declaring your resources and the relationships, and basically having an a, a instant backend. Once you know the schema, you have an instant backend. That's what we're working towards. It's also like, you know, the more conventions, the better. And so, if you're talking about apps that don't have a lot of conventions, what is it going to look like for Mirage for them to use Mirage? Is it going to be too painful? Is it not going to be worth it? Because the more conventional your API the drastically lower cost of using Mirage and keeping Mirage alive alongside your app is. Like when we do things, we keep a Mirage server um, as a living thing that lives with our app. Um, There are people who who use it differently where they will just, they're working on a feature and they're ahead of the API, so they mock it out with Mirage, build the feature, maybe not write tests, maybe write tests, and then they get rid of it and then kind of keep going. And so they don't have a living copy of their server in mirage because it'd be too much work or something but again with like conventional routes like you ideally that's like not a big ask so that's those are some open questions um but as we bring mirage outside of just ember apps and try to see how people who both are using you know react and Vue to build spas and also people who are not using like relational orm style modeling the way we're used to it i want to understand those use cases I would say it's it's going to be easier to go after React and Vue with relational, yeah. Back, I think we're that's shared like a mental first. model. Yes. Yep. I agree. Um, I think the big thing here is like what I'm realizing: the bet we're making or the vision that we have that we want to um, move on is like you sh- you should be in the front end doing this work. You shouldn't have to leave your front-end workflow to do this. So that's really, I think, it's taken a while to figure out. But I think that is actually what Mirage is about, and what makes it different from um, other solutions is that that you shouldn't have to leave your front-end workflow. Right. When it comes to interacting with back-end services. Full stop. Yep. And so, like, basically, that's always going to be the driving principle. Is like, how can we um, support a front end developer. And I was thinking about this too, um, because
1: I have a question. Can you make the same that what you just said there, does that also apply to rails and then everything behind it? Like a rails developer shouldn't have to leave their backend code. Right. They shouldn't have to go to like the database. Right. They should just, they can do everything in rails.
0: Yeah. I think that's a good, that's, that's a philosophy that someone building a tool for rails could, could say and say like, that's how we want it to make, you know, for, for sure. Um, but that's just that is going to be our that is our vision that is our principle like guiding principle it's like when it comes to interacting with a back-end service you shouldn't have to leave your front-end code base your front-end workflow um, I just had a thought what was it it was um um I can't I lost
1: my train of thought <laughs> well one th- one thing here is that's really great about not leaving your workflow is that means you can just you write like the back end code in Mirage and then you can start writing tests. Right. And it's just like they're both those things are right next to each other. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's, it's
0: like, it's basically like why people still use Mirage today. And, and it's the point is like, it's we're unapologetic about it. That's actually the, the whole point is like when it comes to time to interact with the back end service, it's not like, all right, um, pull up your bootstraps and get your rail server running. It's like, no, that's not, that's not, it's this could be so much better it's not that they can't learn rails or how to work their docker container so they can get other and services running stuff like they shouldn't have to yeah and um if a tool like mirage is good enough and they don't have to and they get to stay in their flow in their environment and they stay way more productive because of it so that's like actually the important that's the if mirage goes away if someone makes a better mirage that's what I would care most about. That's the idea. That's like the nut of the idea behind Mirage that I think has feet to stand on. That's gonna like be what we try to work on
1: next. You, you know, one thing I like about this, what you just said, is like the back end code and the front end code. There's a ton of similarities between them, and so like the domain model that exists on the front end, mm-hmm. it's also going to exist on the back end, mm-hmm. and the way you think about these things are the same between both. So it's you don't need. Like a firewall. You don't yeah. need to say like, oh, this is a job for the back-end team and this is a job for the front-end
0: team. Like they're... they're Conceptually serving the front needs of the front-end. Yes. And that's why yes. when we say like we're, we are... Mirage is about fully embracing a front-end first workflow or a front-end... Front-end... Um, your front-end workflow. Your existing front-end workflow. Yeah, you're building the back-end for the front-end. Yeah, exactly. So it
1: makes sense that the front-end developer yeah.
0: is like... Has the ability... To be able to do that. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Um I was listening to Full Stack Radio and Adam had Justin Jackson on who mentioned I haven't looked it up. I really want to look it up, but Seth Godin has this post about um people like us do things like this. Have you heard of this before? No. It's really interesting. So, Justin Jackson on the podcast was talking about his business, Transistor, which is like a podcasting host, hosting company and he was talking about how you market and position yourself and how you discriminate in the sense of choosing who you're going to serve and therefore choosing who you're not going to serve and he mentioned this post from Seth Godin and I think it's basically like people like us do things like this and the idea is like you're finding your tribe and um, you also are like if people like us do things like this it's easier to find the things that we're already doing um, than trying to make up like a market or like create a habit or something like that. So his whole point was like people like us, which was like the set of like, you know, tech entrepreneur type people with small businesses do things like this, have podcasts. So he's like, if I can serve those people, I'm one of those kinds of people. My friends are those people. I know how to serve those people. I care about those people. So if I can make a podcasting hosting company that does the kinds of things we care about, it's like a really good. It was like really, really interesting snippet of the conversation. Nice. I think you should listen to that episode because it's like there's a lot of good stuff there. But it was making me think that's like it's a really good way to segment it. So he was saying, um, what did he, he was trying to come up with some other other examples like, um, uh, people like people like us uh, drink Starbucks coffee or like people like us don't drink. Um, what did he say? Some Canadian brand that's like a blue collar. Tim Tim yeah, Horton. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. He's like people like us don't drink Tim Hortons. We drink Starbucks. And his point is like, if you think about it, right, you, you are like, you're discriminating, you're, you're being selective and, and you're associating with your tribe or whatever. So, um, already you have an image, people like us drink Starbucks, you just get an image of what that group of people is like. And if you were going to serve that group of people, what you would do for them. Yes. Powerful, right? Yeah. Well, also seems like a great way to say no to things and, exactly. and prevent like, yeah, just
1: feature creep and all that.
0: Exactly. Um, yeah. I just listened to Yehuda on on copy paste podcast and he was talking about how what one of the things he laments about um, how front end development has progressed in the last five years is that a lot of folks have embraced programming. Like he says, it's like uh, it's like we need more programming to solve these problems, whereas he was talking about when he learned how to code and he could do a new Rails app and get going with it. In spite of not knowing programming, he's like it's flipped now, and even for Rails, has gotten like harder because of things like strong params, things that are like better for programmers, but like not really empowering, and like you don't you actually have to know more stuff. Yeah. So so when it comes to things like powerful functional um, primitives, that's like a more programming answer as opposed to like um, how can we get like a layer on top that's like declarative and like super powerful and like deliberately underpowered abstract exactly uh, exactly
1: i I have a question though does like does the the more abstractions you create the more like features you unlock and and therefore like you start to dive back down into things So, so an example of this is like microservices yeah like 20 years ago microservices are hard because like, to set up a new server, you, like, literally had to go put a box right in, like, a, a co-location. Um, right. But now, setting up servers are super easy. Right. You can set push up servers button. with it. Yeah, exactly. Write an API to, to to set up your server. So then it introduces this idea of microservices. But that now it's more complex because now you have to understand, like, how yeah. all these things are going to talk. So I wonder if there's, like, a push and pull yeah thing here. I'm not where, sure.
0: But anyways, I, I, I think it's an interesting question. But all that... Diversion, just to say, to come back to say, like when I was listening to Yehuda, he was it. You could imagine that um, a way to segment the front end community is like people like us um, try to share solutions. You know, people like us don't like being clever, or people like us like being clever. That's like a that's yeah, like yeah. when I write code, when I'm writing front end code, and I do something, I have a problem, and then I like stop and i think and i do something super clever i actually don't like that feeling because (laughs) i am like this is a job for the framework and i've just done something clever that these 10 people over here are not going to be able to do in the same way that i am
1: people people like us view code as a liability exactly
0: yes exactly whereas like you you do hear folks in other communities say like i've never felt more like the, like the yeah flexible primitives like i can just i can make lego blocks i can do anything here
1: there's people in other communities that, that i super respect but they would say something like oh just copy the function into your component and right just, just have it there don't have an external dependency just put a function in your component yeah exactly and i can respect that
0: person but also too it's like nope right <laughs> right exactly Exactly. So um, I think that's a super fascinating thing because it really helps you um, with the positioning and the, and the segmentation. And segmentation is like super important, especially when you're talking about like products or even open source libraries. Because like you can't please everybody. You have to segment.
1: So go, going back to that, bringing that back to Mirage, it, it, I mean, it kind of sounds like people like us, um, people like us, they they want like to use an ORM. Yeah. They want relational data. Um, they want to use shorthands, like they want those. higher Yeah, level yeah, things. exactly.
0: Also, like, um, like people like us embrace the front end and and, and treat it with respect. Pe- you know what I'm saying? Yes. Pe- people like yeah. us think about the 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 whole architecture of of a client app um, as opposed, to, a, and we start with the front end. People like us believe in front end driven, outside in, truly right. outside in. Like as opposed to saying, "Oh, what data do we have? Let's start with a domain model and work forward." That's not how we yeah. do it at all completely opposite that's and that's great. a very quick way to yes. say are we serv- are you in this group or not um,
1: that's really good because it's also it's now you can push those prototyping rapid development like let me get my friend end working with mirage as quickly as possible right because that's the first step
0: exactly that is right exactly and we're on the same page that's a that's an, a belief that we already have if you're walking in the door you believe that that is the first step um, people like us think having two apps is bad or um, that the backend should be um, completely standardized to the point of, like... It it uh, could be commoditized. Yeah, exactly, exactly. There's, like, a lot. There's a lot. I think there's a lot of things here you could go down. Um, Yeah, don't, like, boilerplate. Like, if you think about the benefits of a tool like Mirage versus, like, being more explicit in, like, every test and setting up, like, right, there's there's another segmentation there where it's, like, I would rather have... I would rather jump on board with conventions if it means I don't have to have all of this explicit code everywhere. It's like you said, code is li- uh, liability. Um, yeah. So anyways, that was, I was really getting my, my mind kind of churning on like, what would the homepage of this, of Mirage look like and who would it call out? And um, I was even thinking about like, who is it for? And you know, it's like, <clears throat> is it for, is like front end developer. And, like, you could be like, oh, maybe it's for, like, an SPA developer or something. But it's, like, it's really, like, who who is a fr- front-end developer? What does that mean? It could mean a lot of different things, a lot of different people. But who self-identifies as front-end developers? Like, we do. Like, people mm-hmm. like us call themselves front-end developers. Do we do full-stack development? Yes. Yeah. But wh- why do we call ourselves front-end developers? Because we're at a point in the, the life cycle we where... Think, w- we think the future is a front-end. I- exactly. End. Exactly. That's exa- exactly right. So... I was thinking about yeah the homepage here and it's like yeah it's like it's um, whatever the tagline that James has in the design or whatever but it's like yeah anytime front end developers build your entire front end um, without writing a single thing that integrates with a back end any back end service anytime you need a back end service you don't have to break your front end workflow and again like we're the same people and we're writing both of those sides but like that's we're in that role.
1: This is good. I really like this because it's not, you're not saying something like, um, Rails is bad because we don't believe Rails is bad. Right. But, but we are saying that, like, the
0: future, the front end is a future. Yeah. And
1: the fact that you have to have two apps is bad. Not, not Rails is bad. It's the integration, the fact that you have to have two apps. We've talked about this before, but that's, that's, that's something I can identify with. Where if someone, someone says something like, um, you shouldn't ever need to learn back-end development. Yes. Then I might be like, well, there's some value there. And, yep. and yeah, I don't want to write back-end code, but I'm not like, this might not be for me because I have a bunch of backend experience. So that's exactly. very, very cool.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So um, yeah, that's all part of like, we're just trying to go into execution mode and get Ember Live Mirage 1.0 done so we can extract Mirage Server from the core and move that Ember so Mirage won't change. It'll just depend on that, but that core will be able to run in react and view and um, node, and um, we'll start getting to play around with this other stuff, and um, yeah, maybe there's a future where um, it it can work um, in, in a way that... Um, I thought you were just gonna end it there. There's a future where it could work. Yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> um, where it gets us closer to this vision <clears throat> of having one conceptual front end app that um yeah more and more of the backend services are abstracted and, and all that good stuff yep so yeah it's kind of fun to think about but yeah i want to like it's also like i sometimes i overthink things and i just am in this mode now where i want to like bias towards action because we have thought over thought about this so much so it's time to just move and ember CLI mirage is going to still be as stable as it always has been it's just we're going to do some refactoring and, and and experiment with some new ideas right it's like i just realized that it's been very easy like mirage served a, a specific purpose and it you know saw adoption in the ember community when i started it four years ago and it's just kind of been like that sometimes puts you in a spot where you're like you don't want to upset the system <clears throat> you don't want to like there's a, there was a point in time where I got less um, ambitious and exploratory and more just like, yeah, there was like these edge cases that kept coming up. There was always open bugs. And so then it was kind of like, all right, my excitement and energy was moving elsewhere. And I think now, especially having learned all this product stuff that we have and, and kind of feature freezing feature development, and now there's no bugs on Mirage. There's no known bugs. And so we can go back to like product mode and say, what is the thing we're most excited about? How can this tool help us with the vision we were just talking about, and let's try to execute on that?
1: That's interesting. Just like, just as like a meta comment on that, we've talked about like, should open source projects prioritize bugs and all that? And we've always looked at it from like the end- user point of view, but there, you're saying something where it's like you eliminate the bugs, and as a
0: maintainer, you feel really oh my good gosh, and you it's feel ridiculous. Like you feel motivated.: It's such a burden and such a weight to not know what to do and to come to a project. And to be completely overwhelmed. And even as someone who has a couple years of experience doing this a lot, it's still like that. And so, uh, it's ridiculous, man. Um, It's ridiculous. It's also ridiculous to set yourself up to fail if all you're doing is um, orchestrating your work on an open source project you care about on, you know, hot fumes. Which is all you have left at the end of a day and when you're closing issues in the middle of the night and you're not getting remunerated for remunerated for um, your work in a direct way. So if, um, and yet you just keep doing that. And I just, this is another thing that's just really grinds my gears. I've just come to believe like this is, I've kind of believe simultaneously. It's so important. I'm also flabbergasted. How many people seem to just sweep this under the rug, which is that it's like, Everyone knows that this is how open source works, that, that you spike on something and it becomes useful and you're not, who are you kidding if you say you're going to work on it and without figuring out a way to make it sustainable? You're not going to and you're going to burn out on it. And, and so you cannot ignore the product management question. If you don't product manage, product's going to manage you basically into the ground and it's going to be frustrating for your users. You're going to feel guilty and bummed by it. You're going to release a project that is good, but it doesn't have docs or that solves a 60% use case or 70%, but has bugs for the 30% or 20%. And it's just, it's just, it's more, the code is just not that important Mm -hmm. relative to this other stuff. You know, I saw this Twitter conversation, um, rich, uh, um harris released uh svelte 3 which looks really really cool and i was following some of the twitter threads on that and i saw one with him and evan you from view js talking to this guy who was um i don't remember who it was but the guy was kind of being a little disrespectful towards evan and saying some of the ideas in view and i'm not sure why it came up with the Svelte stuff but basically saying it, that it wasn't anything novel wasn't anything new it was just like a uh, packaging of uh, pre-existing ideas, and he was kind of poo-pooing it in that way. And it's you know, Rich was was being like kind of coming to his defense, and everyone was saying like that's pretty disrespectful to say that or whatever. And obviously, Rich was making the point like <laughs> he said something really nice, which was basically like him packaging up old work and making it accessible to everyone. That is the work to be done because it's doesn't.
1: It's also incredibly hard to do yeah there's like a uh it might not be apples to apples with writing new novel ideas yeah but it is it, there is a very specific skill set that's good yeah. at that yeah and not like also too as a user i don't care i do not care yeah, if, if your are of code
0: idea. was in a white paper from 1968 or if you yeah it, it, it was very frustrating to me and, but it also frustrated me. I, I think it frustrated me because um, this is something like I've gotten wrong in the past. I've seen other people get it wrong and I just feel like it's not really, it's just not something that anyone wants to talk about because there is, and I get I it. Mean, I'm a programmer. I was an academic. I listen, I'm, I'm, I live in a, a life of the mind. I, I love that stuff. I, I I get so excited by ideas and, seeing an elegant solution to something um, whether it's code or, or, or theory I, I I get why that's so appealing and I also get why people want to spend their time working on that stuff but you have to acknowledge what, what it is you're doing and it's a different thing it's different an innovation is different from a sustainable open source project that people rely on it's different like look at just look at what's happened to Mirage's repo when we became motivated and we had a, a reason to do it Versus two years ago when it was like kind of done but kind of not, Mm -hmm. and you know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, it's just it's a different kind of thing, and so I just feel like sometimes because of the overlap between the mind, life of the mind, and the the the, um like the fetishization fetishization of of ideas and novel solutions and and code, um, coupled with this ethical, you know, borderline ethical moral. Um, viewpoint worldview that says you should only work um, on things that are free and you should do it voluntarily and um, there's a lot of people who come with a bias that says if you're trying to make money or make money off of work that is quote unquote open source it's a problem so all these things combine for a very bad environment yeah yeah also bad situation did
1: did you add to this soup like the fact that everyone working on this is a programmer and like when you're a programmer every problem is like a code problem yeah yeah and so like code gets prioritized above
0: and respected shown, and respected, shown more yes, respect yes. and other activities are shown not not shown respect
1: you know what's funny i actually code gets talked about as being more respectful but i don't know that like when big projects that people respect might not be it might not be the code that they respect yeah like rails yeah. I don't know if I respect Rails because of its code. I respect yeah. Rails because of how easy it you know, made my life in the past. Yep. So you might think, you might talk about it as like, oh, Rails is great because it has ActiveRecord, but that's not why. Yeah, Rails, yeah, Rails it's is great it's, well, active because... ActiveRecord lets you do. Exactly. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yep. This is also something I've been thinking about with the Mirage stuff. There's this book called Badass by Kathy Sierra that has a nice version of this, but it's, you know, we've heard this before as well, but it's like, it's very easy when working on something to be like, oh, Mirage is like got to be this really cool thing that people are going to like it because of Mirage, the product itself or the APIs or the design of the docs or whatever it is. But it's not about that's what it lets you do. It's not about Ember. It's what Ember it lets you do. So you have to understand what it is that it's letting your users do and focus on that. Anyways, just bringing it back to this marketing and stuff, it's like the code is is just part of it and it has to be good code. It has to be code that does something valuable. But obviously... Evan has done something of great value to the community in creating and maintaining Vue and fostering that community, um, as has all all the folks working on all the front-end stuff. But it's just, yeah, we need more nuance in this conversation. There needs to be more emphasis on the non-coding aspects of doing open source and creating maintainable software. Um, You know, I just, I was getting bummed out by it.
1: I just this thought a few years ago that everything, everything, That we use to build apps is going to become like a community supported project where the maintainer has like a Patreon or Mm -hmm. somehow gets paid for it Mm -hmm. or it becomes a service like Heroku, Mm -hmm. something that we pay for. Yeah. And so I think this, that mental model of how I think things are progressing fit with like product and sustainability. (laughs)
0: Yeah, but what happens too often is that there's not a path there, and it just dies out, and you get people yeah, exactly. relying on unmaintained and abandoned software, which yeah. is not a problem. Yes. It's a huge problem. Um, yeah, Yes. Yeah, so because and, and it could have There's no been. feedback. It's back to the yes or no thing. And this is why I was saying that, that, that there is a thread here, which is tying it back to the, my thing about biasing towards action, right? Um there's no feedback loop that you get when you go down this path and you start making something that other people find useful, but you're not considering how you're going to sustain it. If it, if you need to. And, um, so you're not thinking about that. And what happens is similar to Mirage, you get in a spot where people are using it, but there's no clear way to justify investing the resources. And so it lingers. And so it's the same, like we were saying last week, is it a yes or is it a no? I can take either, but don't give me like a, a, a non-answer for years. And so there's like PRs that are open on Mirage. It sucks. Well there's like s- PRs that are open on Mirage that haven't I haven't looked at in such a long time. And it's like you rather would have a yes or a no. They would have rather been told no like two years ago than to just have it linger. And you can argue that's like on the maintainer, but the whole point is here there's like so many things that you have to you have to prioritize. And so I with this whole bias towards action thing it's like we're either going to make mirage something we're trying to find we want to find a way to sustain it so that we can provide an awesome open source tool that people can get value from for free that executes on the vision that people like us agree on what it is what the workflow they want is their ideal future um But also fund it in a way that it makes it sustainable and makes it um, possible for us to continue working on it. And I'd rather find that out sooner. And if it doesn't work, if there's absolutely no way to make it work, I'd rather shut the whole thing down, right? Obviously, it doesn't mean like deleting Emerson Mirage from the repository. No, but you do want to be dramatic. You do want to say being dramatic is better than saying, uh, I open an issue. What's the status of this thing? What happened to it? Yep. Like that sucks. It sucks for everybody. I, but you people know, don't you know, feel comfortable saying that. Like, it would be better to be like, "All right, we tried to make Mirage work, and it didn't happen. So now we're going to kind of freeze it where it's at, and I'm not maintaining this, or I'm going to look for someone new." Like, yep. there needs to be a step. There needs to be an action, a direction,
1: right? I want to go back to like you said. There's there's not a good feedback. Clear Mirage is not going anywhere. <laughs> good, good to know. <laughs> you said there's um there's like not a feedback loop.
0: Yeah, there's no. Hey, are, but, but are there
1: like are there like leading indicators like hey yeah you're we're in
0: closing issues at two in the morning
1: yeah okay that or like you used to be like super responsive and now yeah now yeah. things yes. take 14 days yeah, you now feel, things take yeah the retainer days.
0: doesn't feel like excited about looking at issues anymore they they have to distract themselves from this because yeah 100
1: so maybe there is a way where it's like you these things these leading indicators are all because you haven't been thinking about sustainability yeah. because yes. you're 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 you know you're bummed right about this project yeah. and
0: yeah i mean I, I think that's true but i think that's also not obvious and i wouldn't have, i didn't know that back then other people don't no 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 i'm, yeah. I'm wondering if you could like yeah if you could if you you somehow could, surface that or something yeah yeah
1: because i there there has to be
0: um it's just not good to like it's like slave labor dude it's like cycle you're just like going through cycles of people who have a giant burst of energy and are working in their volunteer time and you're just, like, people are grabbing them and, like, allocating those, all of that. They're sucking it out. And then it's, like, it's just, you could just see the future unfolding before your eyes. They're just yeah. going to, they're, like, super excited about it. But it's, like, all in their off work time. They're they're not, they have no upside at all. Like, they can do an amazing job, and there's, there's no upside for them. There, there's nothing that they get by caring a ton of that's, not, that's not, there is some there, there, upside, upside in that yeah. they can get like a job yes, as an no, open source
1: maintainer but but there's no, no long term like this thing cannot go on forever
0: yes and like to capitalize on like a reputation that you get from it or something it's you have to understand this other stuff and some people naturally do it some people naturally do that better than others maybe because they're just more outgoing or something some people just do a ton of work and it doesn't really serve, you know what I mean? The yeah, opportunity yeah. cost is not worth it. So it's, um, and then they just burn out and then they're just like, well, F this, I'm not going to do open source. I've heard people talk about that. They, they actually, Chris and um, Brandon were talking about that on the podcast. They were just like, that's why I don't do open source. Like, that's not what you want. You want there to be incentive, good incentive alignment so that yep. we want more people to do open source, not less. And we don't want the only people who do open source, the ones who have managed to figure out some proxy way to make money um, that's not related just so that they can do the real thing that is what's actually delivering value to everyone. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Or
1: or they have like some personality trait that just makes them naturally yeah. good at like saying no and not being up till 2 a.m. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, that's what you don't. Boundaries. Right. That's what and most people don't have that. <laughs> I mean, <Yeah. laughs>
0: that's like a snowflake. Yeah, that, that, yeah. That has it, that, yeah. No, for real. Yeah. I think, um, there's an opportunity here for an entrepreneur to solve this or for GitHub even to, um, I have always thought that something like that should happen where GitHub just makes it, you know, just like in YouTube. YouTube, I think is more honest because YouTube, you do have to put in work, but there's a the, the path to being a YouTuber is like a well-known, well-trodden yeah. path. And you say, you can ask the question, what size does my audience have to be before monetizing and my, my videos is sustainable and I can do this full time? Um, and so, you know, that going in, How, what do you do? What do you know about that with, you know, closing bugs on Babel? Like you, there's no path that you don't know anything. You're just like, I guess I, I mean, and Patreon and, and this stuff is trying to do it, but it's like, it's all over the place.
1: Dude, that YouTube example is so good because like you can say, you can ask a YouTuber, when did you know you it, you wanted yeah. to go full time? What, what were your finances? What was your situation like? And there's tons of stories there. Exactly. And, and there's not that with open source.
0: Well, also, and people are making a living off of YouTube. Are people making a living off of GitHub in weird tangential proxy ways? Like, they're making it off of selling info products around their GitHub work. But that itself is like a whole another skill set. Anyways, um, all that to say, like, I think it would be better both for maintainers and creators, but also for users if there was fewer, more high-quality projects that were being sustained directly rather than um, like half worked on indirectly. And like that means like obviously I'm not saying people, if they have an idea and they love to do something and they just want to open source some spike that they worked on, that's one thing. It's 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 the whole thing about like what are the aspects of this, the so five or six things, and you're only thinking about the one, you know? Yeah,
1: I I a bunch of examples out there that are doing this is great because when you're starting a new open source project, it might be for the love of the problem you're solving. Yeah, but at least like you, you know what all these things in yeah, the back yeah, of your yeah, mind yeah. that you've
0: seen. Exactly. So when it when it gets to a point, you have some template you can follow. Exactly. And maybe Patreon like a, a good a good thing for that, like because it's like yeah, a lot of people do that now. A yeah. lot of people there's a lot of precedent. Like if we were to do that for Mirage, we would go look at how Evans doing it, how Taylor's doing it, how all these people are using patreon to fund their open source work yeah that's good and also too the answer here isn't like something that we can
1: dream up the answer here is the more open source maintainers that are thinking about this they'll try
0: weird different yeah. things and some of those will stick and some of those won't right but that's how we that's how you move forward yeah. and that's how you discover these things as a bottom-up thing but i think it starts with or at least it's helped by a, a feeling a general mood of being supportive of this kind of thing and not Being antagonistic towards people who are trying to fund open source work, monetize open source work, get paid to work on open source, um, not use volunteer time. So I think there's some of that too. And I think I've seen in different communities different degrees of that.
1: Okay. That was going to be my my question for you. It's like, do you, I feel like it's easier now than it was, basically, it's easier today more than ever to to get paid for open source in a way that is not just getting a job as a senior software engineer yeah. at a company but actually getting getting a percentage of the value that you provide
0: it is but yes it is easier but i still think there is a strong bias against it because people just don't like it they don't like the idea of mixing money or business with open source for a variety of reasons i understand that perspective i just think it's it it, it has unintended side side effects it has like unintended consequences which is namely like it, it causes like, yeah, this weird cycle of like burnout and like it's lower quality software as a result. And,
1: you know, maybe there's some nuance to like the why, why does mixing money with open source make you nervous? So I can definitely understand like you're, you're a VC backed uh, open source company. I don't want to rely on you because right. all these things could happen and we've seen all these things happen. Right. But that's, that's
0: very different than you're making money off open source. Right, right, right. So, right. You have a data tables open source project and now you're offering a pro version you that bothers me but like (laughs) and i people will say that but like i just think that's i hope i mean
1: maybe i'm being like super charitable but i think i think that those people are looked at the people that says you that bothers me i hope that those people are looked at is like no what's that shouldn't bother you no
0: i think a lot of people feel like that dude i think a lot of people feel like that a lot but what's the alternative that's so that's the thing. Well I think free? that's what I th- I think in people's minds sometimes it's a false choice, it's a false distinction where they say, Well, they could do this, you know, there's lots of people I've seen do lots of good work for free. Bootstrap has always been free. Um so why is this other data tables thing cost money? But then it's like, Well, no, if you didn't make it cost money then he wouldn't be working on it. wouldn't exist. So it's not a choice between it being free or it being not free. It's a choice between it being a, a premium thing and existing versus it not existing at all. And I can tell you with 100% certainty, if you're sitting in the shoes of a developer who's trying to get their work done and they come across a library and it's unmaintained or it has a bug that's been open for a year or PR that you need that's been open for a year um, or has no documentation, that person would much rather pay you 50 bucks or go to their boss to get their problem solved you're actually going to help that person way more if they had the ability to do that than someone who just wants to live in a platonic world where everything is is free um and um somehow resources are still allocated towards things that people value i just think yeah i just yeah that's my thoughts yeah this is our podcast we can say (laughs) whatever you (laughs) want no i just uh, yeah Maybe it's because I didn't grow up in like the whatever Richard Stallman, you know, I'm not a Richard Stallman acolyte and I didn't, you know, I obviously I love open source, but I would love it even more if um, there was more entrepreneurship around it and more business around it. I think it needs way, way more business and way more capitalism than it has right now.
1: The reason I love open source is not because it's free. The reason I love open source is because the, it best, makes ideas, a superhero. the best ideas yeah. have to compete against each other. Yeah. They have to really, really compete against each other. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's right. And no, there's lots of things that have nothing to do with money that I absolutely love. About. I mean, I learned how to become a programmer from open source. I met all these incredible people through open source. I'm not saying it's all every every little thing should be a transaction. I'm just saying if you don't think about sustainability, again, Sustainability and think about you, and it's going to win yeah. every time. So you gotta, you gotta think about it. You can turn your back on it, but it's still in the room. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, that was a weird episode. <laughs> uh, we'll see if um we get our first one star review after this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, we were going to talk about graffiti, and we were going to talk about um glimmer components and auto tracking, but I guess we can talk about that next week. Yeah, we can just. You know, for the three people that are still listening. (laughs) Let's end on a fun note. What's going on? What, what, when you watch anything fun lately? No, I have a
1: good, good code work related thing. Okay. So I think, I think a lot of times when like new tools or like new abstractions come out, we, um, we think about like, oh, what, how is that different than I'm doing a bad job with this? We think like, oh, can I do that today on my own? So something yeah. like Heroku comes out, yeah. and you're like, oh, this isn't like I could just do that on my own, right? I could like host my own Docker service, mm-hmm. and even though Heroku was before Docker. I could I could write my own scripts right. to manage this on EC2. Um, but last night I saw that you deployed uh, Ember Map from your phone. Oh yeah, I did. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you asked me about that. Yeah, I just saw <laughs> I, you you had left to work and then like. That eight, minutes, eight minutes later, I saw a new version was deployed. Yeah, and I was like, "Did you just did you just deploy from your phone?" <laughs> and I like put my sunglasses on. I was like, "Hell yeah, I did!" <laughs> but I was thinking, like, this is one of those things that you can't really like when you are comparing, like, "Oh, this new service just mm-hmm. came out. I can do that on my own." You are not really thinking mm-hmm. about this. Mm-hmm. That, like, mm-hmm. what does this thing actually unlock? Yep. Like, what does Heroku actually unlock? It actually unlocks it. like, you push code during the day. And then on your way home, you saw that the tests were green, yeah, and you freaking deployed from your phone.
0: Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that's great.
1: That's so like that's not an argument that anyone would ever make. Right, when it's not going to be on their homepage ever,
0: <laughs> but it's actually
1: crazy cool stuff yeah. that we unlock. Yeah, that's uh, really cool. So
0: that also reminds me of uh, one at one part of that um, that podcast interview with, with Justin Jackson, um, where he was saying, um, you know, you buy on emotion. Like, you use – this also kind of ties back to what we were just talking about, which is, like, why marketing and, and all this kind of thing is important because if you think about, especially as programmers and the rational, green, whatever color we are in the Myers-Briggs or whatever personality test, like, you buy and make a decision. You're thinking about you're being rational and logical, but in reality, you're not because – and he, obviously, you can just say that and be like, oh, of course, but there was a cool thing he said about that, which is, like – Let's say you do all the research in the world for a car and you read everything about Tesla as possible and like you have your friends tell you about it and you know everything about Elon Musk. You've read all of his biographies and you know what the new model is and you know their profits and all this stuff. And then you say, okay, of all the alternatives, like this is the logical best decision. So you make a decision and you buy uh, a, a Tesla. Well, I don't even know what the latest model is. Model X or something? Sure, Model 3. Model 3. And then you use it think about it you you don't actually know yeah that's until you drive the car how you feel about it actually
1: but your decision is your decision
0: has nothing to do with that it was all expectations and emotions and your evaluation of people's um, opinions hearsay how you feel about it how the idea the idea of you driving a tesla all of that stuff is what actually caused the buying decision. Um, the facts and the rational stuff obviously plays into it. But the point is, you think about it. I mean, everyone can relate yeah, to that, right? Because yeah. it's like, oh, actually, like this car is not really what I thought it was going to be. Because you don't know until you use it. Yep. So every decision is made on an expectation ahead of time. And that expectation is influenced by, uh, it's, it's not about usage. It's not about the real thing. But we so often are like, is this the best thing? Oh, does it have this feature and this feature? It's like, maybe maybe I wanna use this thing because it's written by someone I like. And, you know, like, you know, Yehuda is working on some new uh, build tool and um, I like Yehuda. And so I'm gonna use this thing and like I'm gonna evaluate the features of it and stuff. But at the end of the day, it's like that's a huge part of it. so. That comes back to this, like, um, you know, importance of marketing. And um, also, like, when you're thinking about how your product or your open source tool, what it enables someone to do, deploy from your phone, and all this kind of stuff, that's the stuff that's like, that's the difference. That's the stuff that matters. So, anyways, I just thought that was another cool aspect of that conversation. So again kind of yes. I'm just I'm yes. kind of projecting cuz I'm thinking about like the Mirage stuff and you want to think about like what does it enable you to do that you couldn't before? How does it make you like supercharge your workflow or whatever it is? Um and this is exactly the kind of thing you want. It's more than just a know. feature list. Way yeah. more than the feature. It's yeah. not about a comparison with the other tool that does the same. It's 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 yeah, it's that can you deploy it on your phone with it? So that's cool. So Mirage like 1.1 is going to have phone deployment. Yeah. <laughs> That would be cool. Mirage deploys would be very cool. It's a possible future. It'd be awesome. Yes. All right. Let's wrap it up. Cool. Show notes can be found on Embermap.com slash podcasts. Yeah, you'll get there with that, I think.
1: Yeah. Podcast. Podcasts. Podcasts. Podcast. It's
0: podcasts. Together. Podcasts. P O D. Okay. <laughs> wow. Sam needs an app. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.